yes, things are bad, but the economy was really strong going into this. We're going to get through this just like we've gotten through way worse in the past. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky. He is the president and wealth advisor of True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield as well. Find us online by going to truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, uh, I bet you haven't had anything going on at the office the last couple of weeks. You've just been probably twiddling your thumbs. Walter, it's like I've been out at the beach. I've just been <laughs> you know, putting on uh, the SPF 30 on my bald head and uh, just enjoying the day away. Um, actually, my daughter is on spring break this week, uh, and uh, I was planning on taking some time off, but uh, we're recording this on March 10th, uh, Tuesday, March 10th, the day after we just had the biggest point decline ever. And the points don't matter. It was quite a large percent decline. So it's been all hands on deck, uh, over the last couple of weeks at the office. And, uh, and here I am today and, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. I will say people recently have kind of clinged to that, Ooh, large point decline and using that to sort of, uh, you know, bash things recently. Well, when we're this high up the mountain, you know, even smaller swings are going to seem very large from a points perspective. But the swings we've seen lately due to the coronavirus scares and oil and some of the other things that have been in the news all surrounding, um, you know, the, the obvious elephant in the room, the coronavirus impacting the markets like it has, uh, the percentages have started to become large, not just the points as well. And that has a lot of people reacting in fearful ways, Kevin, panicked ways, confused ways. It's led to a lot of interesting discussions I'm sure that you've had with clients and with folks who uh, maybe haven't even put together a financial plan before, reaching out with, you know, wondering what should we do? Uh, Should we get out of the stock market? In fact, that was something I can share a personal story real quick. My dad did that. He's approaching retirement, my mom and dad, and they have uh, dragged their feet. I'm going to throw them under the bus a little bit on putting their retirement plan together. And I think this is the thing that's going to spark them uh, to finally get a plan in place, Kevin. But he he called me and said, hey, what should I do? And I said, hey, I only play a financial advisor on a, on a podcast <laughs> with Kevin. So <laughs> he'll be the real one to talk to. But uh, in all seriousness, it was just a good thing to spark the conversation. But I could hear kind of the panic and the uncertainty in his voice. And a lot of people are going through that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really all the above. The decline that we had on Monday was certainly reminiscent of what we had in 2008 and 2009. It was certainly surprising, you know, just to, I guess, kind of go back a little bit. You know, the coronavirus was happening. Frankly, I was quite surprised that it didn't have a quicker uh, ramification in U.S. markets. You know, it was affecting China and it was spreading over there. And we've talked about even in past podcast episodes how the U.S. has been not only done quite well from a returns perspective, but, you know, because it's it's done quite well, it's gotten more expensive. And by many different metrics, frankly, for many years, it's been expensive. And then last year, uh, you know, we had nearly 30 or actually a little bit more than 30 percent returns. And you can actually decompose those returns and say, well, where did the returns come from? And uh, you look at it and it was about a 2 percent dividend yield. And uh, the vast majority of the rest of it wasn't from earnings growth, which over time is really where stock returns come from. It's earnings per share growth. But earnings per share was about flat last year for the U.S. market. So we had a 2% dividend yield. We had about flat earnings per share. 
Walter, we're going to start off with some math here, buddy. I hope you came ready today. But if we had a 30% return and we got a 2% dividend yield, what's the difference and where did it come from? 2% of 30%? Is that what we're going for? No. So so think about it. So uh, in any sort of return, uh, you have total return. Uh, Total return is going to be your income return. In the case of stocks, it's a dividend. Uh, in the case of bonds, it's interest payments. And then you have your capital appreciation. So in this case, you know, if you have a 30% return, 2% is from income. The other 28% is from capital appreciation. Um, so uh, don't worry, Walter, I'll give you some more here as we go throughout today. Uh, but oh, that, that was an easy, so 30 minus two. Okay. You were really tripping, tripping me up there. I was ready for multiplication and division and well, you know, I did, I, I enjoined it with, uh, <laughs> and, and tell me why, <laughs> why or how I can't recall exactly what I said, but if earnings growth uh, was flat, you know, we, we, you would expect like, well, Hey, you know, how did we get, you know, got 28% capital appreciation and earnings growth was flat and that really drives stock returns over time. Well, where did the 28% come from? And where it came from is people just bid up prices. Um, the analogy that I've been using with people recently is, you know, suppose you bought a house in say early 2019, it's in a nice neighborhood. You know, there's a lot of other houses that are similar to it. You and your uh, spouse move in, you're happy, all good. Uh, and then later in the year, somebody comes in, buys a house right across the street, similar lot, exact same model. Maybe the out paints a little different color. Maybe the landscaping is a little bit different, but for all intent and purposes, it's, it's virtually identical. And they end up paying 30% more for the house than what you paid just earlier in the year. You know, they still got a nice house. They still are in a, a nice neighborhood, but they overpaid for the house. And really, that's what you can liken to what happened in the market, and particularly the U.S. market in 2019. Again, people just bid up stock prices. Uh, There was a lot of momentum. Prices went up, even though the earnings growth was actually flat for the year and had started off the year fairly strong, but then it was actually declining uh, over the course of the year. So, you know, I was certainly happy to see the prices go up. However, I was also (laughs) very skeptical and very cautious. And so when the coronavirus came rolling around, early 2020, you know, it's usually something like that that kind of sets off uh, a decline like we've had recently. Now, I think the decline we've had recently, while it's a normal part of investing, uh, the speed of it and just the consistent down days has has certainly been uh, somewhat unique. Uh, but, but nonetheless, um, you know, the coronavirus happened, uh, and it, it was on the news. I mean, I remember seeing it in China. I remember seeing it shut down and, uh, you know, I was quite surprised that the U S seemed somewhat resilient. Uh, so, uh, that quickly changed here though, as we got into February and exasperated even further as we've gotten into March. So that's where I guess to kind of set the stage. And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, the prices have come down as much as they have because they have been bid up so much before. They were expensive. Uh, certainly, they <laughs> have been correcting quite quickly. Um, but stocks tend to overshoot both on the upside, perhaps like they did in 2019, as well as on the downside, certainly like they did uh, in uh, 2009 and before the rebound happened. Um, it's, you know, the market's comprised of people, people are inherently emotional. Uh, the rear part of our brain, our reptilian brain, the amygdala, um, can't tell the difference from a bear market and a bear in the woods. And they say both is bad. Um, <laughs> so they go out and they sell stocks and they do other things that aren't necessarily good for their long-term financial health. And that's what's been going on. On the other hand, too, 
there seems to be a lot of just you know algorithmic program, uh, computer program type trading that's going on. So you know, a lot of that is, I think, being worked out right now. But all that being aside, long term, as investors, we're going to get the returns you know from these companies on an earnings per share basis. We're going to get a dividend yield. That's our total return. However, as we're living through right now, there is a lot of noise that can be present in short term um, market movements. And that's certainly been uh, the case recently. Now, if I transition here for a little bit, um, we have had a lot of people actually be referred to us recently. I've had a lot of people reach out. It's usually something like this, some sort of market move like this that causes people to to finally, you know, similar to your parents, Walter, just kind of get that kick in the rear and say, okay, I can't procrastinate anymore. You know, things have been going great, but you know, hey, did I really know what I was doing? I just, you know, I picked some things in my 401k and everything seemed to be going up. The rising tide lifted all boats, but now I don't know what the heck I'm doing. It's time to get serious. So we've had a lot of those uh, people reaching out to us recently. Um, we're, we're busy, but we, we're, we have capacity. We have four certified financial planners on staff, and we're certainly happy uh, to go ahead and talk with you and see if we can help and, and make sure that we can you know, get things in order and not make any sort of rash decision. Uh, the other thing I will say, and I think this is uh, a testament to our clients and frankly, probably to our process and our people, um, but whenever you have a plan in place and you have the clarity and the confidence of saying, hey, yeah, the market is going crazy. I certainly don't like seeing the red when I turn on the TV screen at night and all these media reports, man, they just keep using these four letter words in some way. But it all comes back to fear because uh, fear sells in the media. And but I can log into my client vault. I can see that, hey, even though the market's down, whatever percent per day today. I can see that my final plan, financial plan results, uh, we're still on track. I'm not going to have to go ahead and change my lifestyle. Yes, the short-term gyrations are somewhat unsettling, but I can go ahead and tune out the noise. I can focus on what matters, and the short-term gyrations are not going to impair my long-term financial health. It's not even close to it. So we've been really encouraging our clients just to go ahead and log into their portals, log into their, their client vaults, and, and take a look at that. Their financial plan results are updated every single day. They can kind of see their success meter and their safety margins and just make sure that they're still on track. And, you know, basically it's kind of a, a simple kind of a red green type thing. If you're in the green zone, you're good. Um, and our software makers are maybe a little bit PC. They didn't want to make it red. It's more of a magenta, uh, which, you know, hey, what are you going to do, right? Um, but if you're, if you're kind of floating down that way, then it's giving us some feedback that, hey, maybe we do need to go ahead and look and, and rein in some spending a little bit. Uh, we've talked a lot about spending goals in different podcast episodes uh, you know, over the last year and a half that we've been doing this. But this is the point in time where if your plan isn't really well-funded, that some of the more discretionary goals, you may need to start considering, hey, do I really want to go ahead and and spend those dollars? Well, the good news is if you're planning on spending the money on a cruise, you don't have to worry about it. The decision's kind of made for you, right, Walter? Oh, man. I, I know a few people who are still planning to go on a cruise in early April. And uh, I'm scratching my head. I, I don't know how anybody could pull that trigger right now. <laughs> yeah, it, nor do I. One of our neighbors just took a uh, husband and wife and uh, four kids uh, on a cruise now because um, it's spring break where we're at. And yeah, I don't I, I don't think I would do that. But um, but anyway, you know, having that predetermined uh, financial plan, uh, having the goals accurately reflecting your lifestyle and ranked and prioritized based on your needs, your wants, and, and those more discretionary wishes, you know, that's the framework that we operate in. 
And I think it takes a while for clients to really kind of you know get used to the program. But after they see this, uh, after they hear us explain it, and you know yeah, repetition certainly doesn't hurt over the years. But we you know we stress test for way worse environments than we're going through right now. We have a game plan in place. The key is, and this is again one of the reasons why I'm not on vacation this week is now is the time to execute the plan. There's uh, the financial plan is already in place. There's some different things that we need to do from an investment standpoint. Uh, but the key is you, know, you really can't uh, go ahead and just panic out. I mean, if you do that, people have heard this. Certainly people feel like, hey, if I go ahead and sell and go to cash. And, and Walter, did you say that your, your dad actually did that? No, he did not. I, I advised him against that. Um, I said, don't, don't, don't panic. Now is not the time. You're, he's just turning 60 this year, so he still has a few more years before he's going to pull the retirement trigger. So I said, this, this is not a reason to panic and sell everything right now. I said, I, I think I can provide you enough guidance to at least say that. I can be your voice of calmness right now. <laughs> yeah, no, well, that's great. And, and kudos for you to you for, for helping him and for him actually listening. You know, it's, it's just something that um, for people that particularly, I, I think, that don't have a plan, they can't see how their money is going to be connected to their financial well-being and go through a process similar to what we, we just preach basically on the podcast about connecting your life to your money and showing, you know, how the investments are going to support all the things that, that you are and that you want to do. Um, anything that's not going to be met by your social security, your pension, you know, your investments obviously do and have to be tailored back to your financial plan, back to your lifestyle to go ahead and support that. Yeah. One of the things I told him too was, you know, you've never been one to play the market or anything like that. And you're, you don't have that desire anyway, even if this, these funds were for, you know, the fun money, um, let's say, then sure, maybe you could say, all right, well, let's see if this thing goes down further. Let's cash out, wait a little while. I said, I wouldn't even recommend that if it was your fun money, just based on a lot of the guidance that I've gotten from, you know, Kevin over the you know many months we've done this show and the many episodes that, that we've had here and by osmosis and uh, by active listening have been able to absorb from some of your great advice. But, uh, you know, he needs this money for retirement. And so I said, you don't want to go gambling with that and sell everything today because, Dad, what happens if – and this, I think, was on that first Friday of the first week where we'd really had the downside. And I said, what happens on Monday if uh, things rebound and they go up, you know, 10, the 10% that you, you sell at the bottom today? What if they go up back on Monday after you've gone to cash and you can't get that 10% back? I said, you'll be kicking yourself forever. And I said, yeah, it's probably going to go down some more, but you've got the time – to absorb this hit and this frustration, it just takes some patience. But let this be that that you know what bellwether. Let this be that thing that gets the plan in place for the future. Yeah, I think something that's really important for everybody to keep in mind, and I'll phrase it into say somebody that's still say you know maybe my age, say you know mid forties and still working, uh, and then somebody who's retired. So for myself, um, so my wife uh, has a consulting business. She was a writer and editor and she does some of that work still. And uh, we are making her 401k contribution, you know, this week, what's in process right now. So I'm not going to be able to pick the bottom. Nobody is. We'll talk about that timing aspect uh, actually a little bit more in the next episode um, but, and, and why you can't time it. Um, but we're going to make that contribution now. Uh, I could certainly get a lot worse. Uh, however, I feel quite confident that when I look back in a couple of years that I'm going to be happy that I put it in at this point in time because the money will have grown. So, you know, with investing, there's no guarantees. But I mean, historically, that's how markets work. Um, you know, capitalism 
makes the pie bigger for people. Uh, we invest in these companies and they go ahead and produce earnings. We get that through owning the stock or owning mutual fund shares, what have you. Stocks are certainly a lot cheaper than they were just a few weeks ago. Uh, and not only in the U.S., the U.S. has sold off a lot more recently, but uh, you know we're going to be globally diversified. Uh, we own Chinese companies, we own companies in India, companies in Europe. You know, you name it. You know, some of those those countries actually have held up better than the U.S., even though so far they've been more disproportionately affected. In part, I would speculate because their valuations or their prices weren't nearly as appreciated and high uh, as the U.S. So the U.S. said another way, kind of had it farther to fall because the prices had climbed up so much. Um, but these are all, I think, important things uh, to keep in mind. A couple things that, frankly, you don't hear. I mentioned this in passing, but whenever you turn into media, all you hear is all the negativity. All the fear. I mean, I was just uh, having lunch and um, uh, the TV uh, was on and it was uh, CNBC. And uh, by and large, I don't recommend that people watch CNBC, but there's actually been some good guests on recently. So I've been kind of tuning in and and kind of staying abreast of things. Uh, but all that they were doing was flashing back to yesterday about, oh, the biggest you know one day drop ever. Well, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but the last I looked, the market was up about 2%. So it's certainly a far cry from how much it had fallen yesterday. But you know, all they're doing is going flashing back to all the bad news from yesterday. They're not talking about the good stuff today. Or the other thing that I notice a lot is when they're talking about the coronavirus and they're like saying, oh, more than 100,000 people. In fact, yesterday I was looking at uh, there's a, this interactive map that Johns Hopkins is doing, and there's more than 113,000. Uh, but the vast majority of those people um, not only have recovered, but those aren't active cases. Um, so last I checked, and, and granted, you know, testing is certainly behind schedule, it seems to be here domestically. I'm not exactly sure about other parts of the world. Uh, however, there was the, the number of active cases for several days had been declining. And you didn't hear any of that. All you heard was about the total confirmed cases. All you heard about were the couple deaths. Um, Walter, I, I know you're a, a younger millennial here, but do you recall the swine flu? I, I do remember it. I don't remember it getting as much uh, as much attention, though. You know, I don't. I, honestly, I don't either. Um, we in Northeast Ohio. I remember the Ebola scare getting much more, um, you know, attention, even though that had a much smaller spread. Yeah, and for us, uh, my wife and I, we were pregnant or trying to get pregnant, so Zika was <laughs> was really big for us. Because, That's right. I remember Zika very well. Yeah. Yeah, because the it was you know, babies were disproportionately affected and mothers were at risk. Uh, so you know, there, there's some of that. But um, swine flu 2009-2010, it affected more than 60 million people in the U.S. Six zero million. How many cases of coronavirus are identified in the U.S. right now? So, so far, still at a few hundred at the moment. Yeah, right? it's it's like less than a thousand. Again, mm -hmm. the, the testing isn't there. I get it, but we're. <laughs> I don't care if everybody was tested. We're I mean, not. We're not off by sixty million. <laughs> no, it, it's one in five people had the swine flu. Um, the mortality rate, I think, it was like two or three times the the regular flu. But I mean, it was everywhere. Um, you know, maybe in granted two thousand nine, two thousand ten, we were still coming out of the global financial crisis. Um, the market bottom in March of 2009, um, social media platforms, I certainly don't think were as they were around, but they, I don't just don't think they were as widely used back then. Um, maybe that's exacerbated some things, but I mean, it was way worse And and Walter, I don't know about you, but after the swine flu and one in five Americans and more than 60 million of Americans were infected. Do you remember markets going to zero? 
Mm-mm, not at all. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, I mean, maybe fact, because we were already near the bottom, it, it just didn't have anywhere else to go, it felt like. but Yeah, and I think that could be, uh, I mean, we had been rebounding. Returns ended up being quite strong in 09 and 10, but there was this, this kind of lag and this perpetuating fear about having kind of the second shooter drop or a double dip recession was kind of the nomenclature back then. Um, but prices were, were, were quite cheap, you know, and, and again, where we started, uh, the conversation earlier today was the prices were, you know, quite high. And so certainly the markets are always different, but the markets always behave in a similar way. They're a discounting machine. And anytime there's risk or uncertainty, then that's going to be factored into the price. And so when the price is cheaper to begin with, and you kind of have a margin of safety when you're buying it. Well, when you go through that discounting process, it seems reasonable to go ahead and hold that it's it's not going to fall as much. But nonetheless, I mean, I think we just got to put this in perspective. I'm not trying to be, you know, Pollyanna or glad hand the situation. It's certainly, you know, serious. Um, it's obviously more serious for certain uh, age groups, it seems, uh, from the mortality perspective. Um, we all need to be smart. Um, certainly, it's having economic ramifications. You know, events are being canceled. Transportation is is really being hampered, particularly for the airlines. Uh, as you intimated earlier, you know, you had uh, Putin surprisingly doing something uh, crazy uh, over the weekend, or, or maybe genius. I'm not sure from their perspective, but you know, causing uh, these shock waves uh, in the global energy markets. Um, however. Again, let's put this in perspective, guys and gals. The U.S. economy and the economy and the markets are two different things. Again, I mean, I, I think I exemplified that pretty well in 2000 and going back into the 2019. You know, the, the earnings growth was was slowing down. Uh, the economy was doing pretty good, um, uh, but prices were doing exceptionally well and just kind of uh, you know a little bit exuberant, if you will. Now, going into 2020. Um, we had unemployment claims were continually trending down. The unemployment rate was three and a half percent. Um, retail sales numbers were really strong in January and February and up over the prior year. Uh, and, uh, the Atlanta fed was pro- projecting like a 3%, 3.1% real GDP growth for the first quarter. So yes, things are bad, but the economy was really strong going into this. And certain things are going to happen where there's going to be pent up demand. And whenever this, we come out of this, uh, you know, those things are going to start happening and going to happen quickly. You know, sometimes you'll hear like a, a V or U shaped recovery. You don't know what shape it's going to be. You don't know, you know, what the amplitude or acceleration that there's going to be, but you're going to see a global coordinated, potentially fiscal, certainly monetary stimulus package uh, that's going to put a lot of gas in the tank for the global economy. We're going to get through this just like we've gotten through way worse in the past. Uh, And when we do that, if you if you sold and and again, kudos to you, Walter, for not letting uh, mom and dad do that. Um, But, you know, you're going to look back on that and say, wow, you know, maybe I got lucky and sure, you know, I'll take luck uh, any day of the week. Um, However, you know, Walter, as far as I know, when people go to Vegas and they play games, there's a saying that that comes to mind, like the house always wins, right? 
You've right. heard that before. No, nobody walks away from Vegas with more money than, than they went there with, typically. Yeah, or the, <laughs> what I love about it is when they come back, it's like they have this selective memory and they only tell you about their winner lo- winners, but they negate the losers. Um, <laughs> That's right. You, know, and you, so, don't, you don't talk about the net when you come back from Vegas. You talk about the one good hand. You right. <laughs> so some people are going to go ahead and sell, uh, and they're going to sit out, and, and maybe then they're going to get back in and, and time it and get lucky. You know, And kudos to them if they do. Uh, but we'll go into detail in the next episode why this doesn't work. But for most people, and I can tell you, we still have clients that, that I met just in the last couple of years that panicked in 2008 and literally, you know, nearly took them a decade just to get out of the stable value fund in their 401k and back into the stock market. And all the while just miss a ton of wealth creation over those years. It just doesn't work guys. It just doesn't work. You have to go ahead and you have to be disciplined. Um, it's not all bad news that's out there. You know, stock prices have gotten lower. You're going to go ahead and if you're doing this right, you're you're selling the bonds that have done really well. Interest rates have gotten appreciably lower, uh, and you're buying the things that are causing pain and went down in value. It just, <laughs> it's the basic rule of investing. It's a disciplined process called rebalancing, and it's forcing you to buy low and sell high. Everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to buy low and sell high. But in times like these, it's difficult, and that's why you really need to be process-driven rather than some sort of reaction. So these are just some things um, that I'm hoping will help some people that are tuning in. Just keep things in perspective. You know, it, there's a lot of gloom and doom that's out there, but again, that's how media sells more uh, more spots or gets more clicks or, or whatever these days. But it's, it's not all bad. Certainly it's going to get worse. It's going to spread. There's going to be more confirmed cases and more active cases that are identified in the U S undoubtedly. So people are responding. You're seeing schools already doing distance learning. There's these events, uh, South by Southwest and other sort of, um, sports and entertainment events that are being canceled. Unfortunately, you know, that sort of revenue is lost. There's no pent up demand there really. Um, but, we're going to work this through. Interest rates are lower. Consumers are going to be refinancing. Oil prices are a lot lower. Gasoline is going to be cheaper. That's going to be a big, big stimulus. The government's likely to do something uh, from a fiscal perspective with uh, Congress and the president, uh, as is the Fed, as are other countries and economies. It's going to be okay. It's going to get better. And if you're younger and you're investing, more likely than not, this is a buying opportunity. And if you're retired, and this is something I didn't mention earlier. I kind of set it up and I, I failed to follow through with it. So I'll, I'll close the loop now, Walter. Um, but for those that are in retirement, none of our clients are living on stock money uh, over the next couple of years. When you think about your portfolio, if you just do a simple kind of time segmentation and you look at say, well, hey, you know, say I got a million bucks and maybe I need uh, $500,000 to live over the decade from 60 to 70. I'm just kind of making this up as we go and using round numbers. Um, but if you have 50% in bonds and 50% in stocks, you can theoretically just spend down all the bonds and receive all the interest payments on the bonds and not have to sell stocks for an entire year. So we had 2008, you know, stock prices peaked in late 2007, went all the way down and bottomed in early 2009 and March 9th, 2009. And it took about three years to go from the very tippity top in 2007, all the way down and back again. If you go back through history, that's about the longest period that there's been. There's two of those big dips in the great depression, but we're talking about a three year period. So even if you're in retirement, 
and you're going to have a diversified portfolio, some stocks, some bonds. Just think of the stocks as the longer term dollars. Those are the th dollars that are, need to grow, but more to go ahead and provide the inflation protection you need and provide the money for 10 or 20, maybe even 30 years down the road. Think about the bonds in your portfolio, and they should generally be more conservative bonds that you're living off of as the dollars that you're going to need for tomorrow, uh, for the next year, and the year after that. So if you think about it that way, and we've done, we did this in 2008, most of our clients have about five years worth of bonds or more that they can live off of. Uh, and some, just because their plans are really, really well funded, frankly, they have upwards of 20 years of bonds and the stocks can be thought of as, you know, 20 plus year money. So that's been one of the things that I found in practice really help people. You know, we have these financial plans, we have these kind of, you know, this green zone, but when you break it down like that and just say, look, you know, here's your, here's your allocation, here's your investments, here's your income for tomorrow. Yes, you have some cash at the bank, but from the portfolio, you have a certain amount of dollars in bonds. You're spending, say, again, 50,000 a year, you got 500,000 in bonds, ignoring the interest payments on the bonds, you got 10 years of income in bonds. So when you start thinking about it that way, my hope is that you can just even better ignore the daily gyrations of the market, be disciplined, rebalance, sell some of the bonds that have held their value and appreciated, buy the stocks that went on sale, buy low, sell high, stick to the plan, stick to the process, don't make a knee-jerk reaction. Stick to the plan, and if you don't have a plan in place, it's time to get one. The other big takeaway from today's show, for sure. And on the next episode, we're going to talk some more about volatility. We're going to find out a little bit more, Kevin, right, about how you yourself responded to tweaking and making changes to your clients' portfolios. Yeah, I'm going to go in a little bit into some of the evidence on why this market timing doesn't work, because it's so darn seductive, and it's so easy for unscrupulous advisors to go ahead and sell this I was going to use a certain word that started with an S and had four letters, but I'm going to refrain from doing that, Walter. <laughs> um, but sell that stuff to people. Uh, and it just, I, as you can probably tell from the intonation of my voice, it just really irks me. And, and at the same time, even for those people that aren't being sold a sort of market timing strategy, it's just, it feels good. I get it to go ahead and take control of your money, but that, that is such a mistake. You cannot mistake activity for control. So I want to dive into that first. We'll see how that goes and uh, not to drone on, but uh, then we can get into some portfolio changes, kind of how to respond, you know, in the current market environment, uh, which I feel may be instructive as well. The five-letter S-word stuff is uh, just as applicable in this situation. Thank you. So that, that's all right. We'll, we'll take that one. Uh, if you want to get in touch, although we don't have the FCC to worry about on a podcast, Kevin. So I, mean, I know, was it's... not aware. I didn't want to. I was always <laughs> concerned about like you know in in iTunes getting that little explicit. Um, oh, so. that's true. We might have to mark this episode as as explicit if you uh, if you go the full the full route. So yeah, let's keep it. Fi we'll keep it family friendly so we don't have to add that explicit tag to the show. Sounds good. But uh, your point well taken today for sure well look forward to that next episode kevin in the meantime if this is something that's causing you worry or concern and you'd like to talk about it it really helps let me tell you to talk to somebody uh who has been through these market ups and downs before knows how to navigate them and can pro provide you with a great direction uh, you can speak with a member of the true wealth design team by going to truewealthdesign.com and click the are we right for you button to schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. Just go to truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button. Or you can always call 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 
26 if you want to do it the old-fashioned way. Well, we look forward to the next show with you, Kevin. In the meantime, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Walter. All right, we appreciate it. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.